0: The sermon today is Hebrews 6, 4 through 12. I'm going to read 1 through 12, Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will, this will we do, if God permit For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let us pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for today, another day you've given to us. Thank you for your word that you've given to us, that we can hear it read and preached and taught. I ask that you remove distractions far from us, that that we may be attentive to your word, and that you be glorified, that your name would be famous here in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank
1: you, David. Usually, um, and this is... For my own benefit, as well as for, um, anybody else's, I like to have some sort of introduction to the sermon. You know, you, you, you want to have, because like, uh, I think David prayed, you know, to keep, to, that, that God would remove distractions far from us. We are, our minds are often here and there and everywhere. And, um, and so it's good for us at the beginning of the sermon to have some sort of, Attention grabbing thing, you know, some sort of, uh, to get our minds focused on the, the text. Um, but when you have verses like this, um, if we're listening to them and we're reading them, we're, we're paying attention. Uh, because this is a, these opening verses here is a, is a strong warning. Um, it says in verse four, It is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. There's a warning, there's a clear, scary warning in this morning's verses. So what we want to do, we're going to look at the warning, and then we're going to look at how this warning should change the way we think. We're going to look closely at the warning, and then we're going to look at how this warning changes the way we think. The warning, we can summarize it this way, we can, we can, we can say the warning this way, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Those who turn away from what they have tasted cannot be restored. Those who turn away from what they have tasted cannot be restored. That is the warning. These verses have caused all kinds of questions, all kinds of anxiety over the years. Um, I... I read more um, commentaries as I'm preaching through Hebrews than I've ever read in my life. Um, uh, Hebrews, and I and I, I generally read quite a few commentaries when I'm getting a sermon ready. Not maybe not, uh, you know, a ton, but I, I read a few. Um, whatever sermon series I'm doing, whatever book I'm preaching through. But with Hebrews, um, there's a lot of, of commentaries sitting open on the desk. Um, and uh, there was a there's a there's a scholar named Wayne Grudem, who he he wrote a paper on um, those that warning there in verses four through six, and the paper was 76 pages long. Um, I say that just to say, a lot has been said about these verses because they're 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 confusing and they're hard. So, so we have questions as we look at the at these verses. And I think probably the first question that we have to ask ourselves is who are these people who have fallen away? Because it's clear when it says that they are that they are fallen away in which in such a way that they're unable to to ever repent. They're unable to ever be restored. They're, they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. It, it's clear when it says they've fallen away that they have fallen away. That, that the word there is, a, is apostatized. They are they are gone. They they are not saved and they cannot be saved now. They're so far gone they cannot be restored. So who is it? that we're talking about. These people who have, who have been enlightened once upon a time, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they have fallen away. Who are these people? Well, as you would imagine, there's a lot of debate about that. There are some scholars who think that these people were genuine Christians. There are some Bible teachers who would say that these people are genuine Christians. That they had been truly born again. That they had been truly regenerated by the power of God. That God had brought them from death to life by His own sovereign grace. There's some scholars who believe that these people were truly saved, but then they lost their salvation. And if you only had these verses... Right. If you only had those verses, then then perhaps you could think that. Perhaps you could see that. But we don't have only these verses. And so one of the things we have to remember when we are studying the Bible, when we're trying to sort out what the Bible means, because I I promise you that if you read through the Word of God, you're going to come up against passages like this that don't seem to fit with what you believe. They're going to be difficult for you to understand. I guarantee it. And sometimes it's not clear, using just those verses, what those verses mean. And so what we must do is we must compare these verses and and interpret these verses and think about these verses in light of the rest of Scripture. Scripture. And I firmly believe, and there's going to be some stuff that I say here. And maybe you're um, new to First Baptist, or you're just, you, or or you're, or, or maybe you've been here for a while, or whatever. But you you're going to hear some things in this sermon, or really any sermon, and you have questions about it. Um, then please reach out to me throughout the week. Please text me, call me, email me, stop by the office. We'll let's. If you have questions about the Word of God, I love those kinds of questions, I love thinking about those kinds of things, Um, contact me and we'll talk. If on the off chance that this sermon isn't just super clear and compelling and you have no more questions. (laughs) Which, that also... That's not going to happen. Okay, so it could happen. It It could happen. So let's think about what the rest of Scripture says about whether or not a truly regenerated person can lose their salvation. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Romans 8 starting in verse 29, says, "...and, and those f- whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order, to, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He also called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified." Which means, like, you are eternally saved now. If you are justified, you are also seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You are also, you are also forever saved. Verse 38, and I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and if we're wondering, nor anything else in all creation, just in case we're not clear, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So our inheritance is being kept by God and we ourselves are being kept by God. Ephesians 4.30 says the Holy Spirit of God seals us for the day of redemption. John 10.27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And there's other Scriptures as well. But what I want to do is I just want to rattle some of those off so that you can understand when I say I believe that Scripture teaches that someone who is truly born again cannot lose their salvation, that, 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 that I believe that because that is what Scripture teaches. That's what Scripture states over and over. So, these people that the author of Hebrews is talking about these people who have fallen away, who want nothing to do with Christ, in fact, their contempt for Christ is as if they were nailing Him to the cross again and heaping shame upon Him again. They must not have been truly saved. For if they had been truly saved, they wouldn't be doing this. But... When you look at these verses, man, it's, it's people who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they fell away. I mean, these people were close. They were close. This sounds very much like the description of a believer. And so what we have to do again is we have to search through Scripture. And we have to see other Scripture passages that help us to remember that just because it seems like a person is saved does not mean that they are. 1 John 2.19 John says, they went out from us. They, They left the faith. They left the church. They left the gospel. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. When, when Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower in Luke 8, he says, and this is just, uh, this is something, he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So there are some people, it hits hard heart. They don't want nothing to do with it. It never even seems like they're interested at all. That's some people. Verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. Listen to this. They believe for a while. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews. And it says in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. These are people who at this moment would have called themselves his disciples. And he says to these Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Jesus says to these people who had believed him, they had in some way called themselves his disciples. He says to them, I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And then he says, and they were not thrilled with this. And you do what you have heard from your father. He meant the devil. They were not children of God. They were children of Satan. And yet at one time, They had believed him. They had, there was, there was something about him that they were drawn to. They would even call themselves for, for a time, his disciples, but they were the children of Satan. Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This reminds us so much of of Judas. In in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, all of the disciples go out. All of the disciples go out, including Judas. They go out and they heal the sick and they raise the dead and they cleanse lepers and they cast out demons. All of this in Jesus' name. And then by the end, it's very clear Judas is not. He's not truly in Christ. He does not belong to Christ. In fact, Jesus says it would be better if you had not been born. So, I say all of that To make a simple point that not everyone who appears to be a Christian is truly a Christian. Someone can make a profession of faith. They can even be baptized and join the church for quite a while. And then they can turn away from Christ. This can be a big dramatic thing. It can be like make the news, a, a prominent pastor who turns away and publicly disavows the gospel. Or it can just be a simple slow drift. Either way, this proves that they were never truly born again. But look at the way they're described. Yes. Yes. I mean, it seems very much like if anybody's saved, these people are. They, they received in some way a true taste of the goodness of God. So, so they experienced the taste of what the Gospel was like. The, 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 the author of Hebrews uses the word taste quite a bit it's it's signifying to us something temporary, something truly experiential, but something temporary they They had in some way saw what the gospel could do in the lives of their f- friends and family they they saw what God could do they, there is some way, there is some temporary way in which they saw the the worthlessness of sin they, they saw it they, they saw in some ways yeah the, the, the gospel makes sense the the, the Word of God. It makes sense. It's good. And so for a little while, there was this intellectual assent. For a time, there was even an emotional. They received it with joy, the parable says. They believed for a while, the parable says. It was there for a little while. But it becomes evident over time that that was something superficial. That that was something that was Surface level, that there was things about it that got them stirred up emotionally, there was things about it that made sense to them intellectually. But the God of the universe had never brought their dead heart to life. They were never truly born again. So they never truly believed the gospel. They were never truly saved. Perhaps they had deceived themselves. For sure, many people around them were deceived. And and now we have to get very specific about this warning, because this warning is, is even worse, right, than someone who... There, there's someone who starts out strong and they, maybe they grow up in church and maybe when they're a teenager they, they make a profession of faith and they, and they get baptized but then over the course of time they, they, they just kind of drift away, the, the busyness of life, they, they want, or, or maybe just like different friend groups and different influences and they, and they go for a long stretch of time where they want nothing to do with Jesus and we're very concerned about their salvation but, but, but then later in life they come back. And, and, and they, they truly believe the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. This is not that though, because this is saying there is a group of people that get a good taste of, 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 of the, of the word of God. They, they get an understanding that most people don't get. They get a, they get the inside scoop about the way That God changes people's lives, and the way that God brings comfort and joy to His own, and the the way that the Bible just makes good sense. They get a a taste of it, they understand fully what they're rejecting, and then they walk away from it. They say, Yeah, I get it, I don't want it. I was listening to an interview with uh, Joshua Harris. Um, a, kind of a prominent pastor wrote a few books um, and and has publicly um, he, well first he left his wife and then he left the faith and he wants nothing to do with the gospel he but he articulated what he didn't believe he articulated the gospel better than I do he knows it inside and out he knows it and he wants nothing to do with it. My fear for him and I have no idea because I'm not the omniscient god. I have no idea. But my fear for him is he's one of these ones who has had a true taste and was never truly converted and he is he is walking away. He is walking away to a place he can never be restored. He can never be restored because he will never repent and he will never repent because God is done with him. That's the warning in these verses. The the, the warning in these verses is that these people who have tasted and then fallen away, they cannot be restored again to repentance, verse 6 says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. God is saying, I'm done with you. I am done with you. This is not the only passage of Scripture that talks about God just giving people up. Oh, you, you want that? You can have it. That's what you want? You want to reject My Word? You want to reject My Son? You want to reject My Gospel? Go ahead. And He gives them over to their foolish, dark, wicked thinking. And then verse 7 and 8, because God is done with them, they are headed for judgment. Sobering verses, verses 7 and 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. If it, if the, if the word falls on a receptive heart, a heart that God has renovated and changed and brought to life, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna produce a crop. It's gonna receive a blessing from God. It's gonna be awesome. But if it bears thorns and thistles, It is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. It is headed for judgment. It is headed for hell. It is headed for eternal punishment. So that is the warning. Those who turn away from what they have tasted cannot be restored. Now, how does this warning change the way we think about things? Uh, most of you know, the, you, you, pastors only have the pastors have like soapboxes, right? And so, if I'm not careful, um, I, there there are certain points of application that I can find in any text. Right? I can I can start I can go off my soapbox pretty easily. One of my soapboxes I have to watch myself on is um, expository preaching. Um, that's just my, I just, if a college student is like, hey, I'm, I'm moving to wherever, um, Columbus, Ohio. I'm just like, well, don't do that. That's where Ohio State is. There's nothing good there. Um, and so I turn them around on that. And then they, so they're going to pick a, a different town, a better town, um, a town with some hope. Um, so they're going to wherever. They're going to Kansas City, Missouri, or whatever. And they say, what what, what church should I go to there? Do you know any good churches? I was like, I don't know, but find a church that does expository preaching. Find a church that most of the, most of the diet of the church is just the pastor um, or pastors get a book of the Bible, and they just preach all the way through it. They don't skip anything. They just go through the whole book of the Bible. And then when they're done with that, to change it up, they pick a different book. And they go through the whole book of the Bible, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Just do that. And that's my... That's my thing. That's the thing that—that's my secondary issue that I make into a primary issue all the time. Uh, that's the thing. That's—that's the—that's the hill that I shouldn't die on, but I probably would, because I just—that's my thing. And so I know that I probably talk about it too much, but I also don't care. I'm going to talk about it again um, because I know that if I wasn't just preaching through the Book of Hebrews, I would never preach these verses. I, would, I wouldn't touch these verses with a ten-foot pole. Monday, Monday is uh, so some pastors take Mondays off. I go in on Mondays and I do things that don't require a lot of like thinking, right? And so I don't do a lot of study. I don't do a lot of that kind of stuff on Mondays. I do other stuff, just like busy work type stuff that I have to get done. Um, so I I do that. And but I'll, what I'll do is I'll get the I'll get that week's passage out, and I'll read it once, put it down. You know, an hour later, I get it out again. I read it. Man, what does this mean? What does this mean? I put it down. I get it out again. Sometimes I write the thing out. I just copy it down, just writing it out. Yeah, that didn't help, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, people say that that helps. Doesn't, not, didn't help me. Pray about it, think about it. What does this mean? It's good for us to come up against passages that don't quite fit into how we normally think and how we normally live, how how we normally talk to people. Colin or some heretic said, um, (laughs) said, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in Hebrews that if it wasn't in the Bible, I'd be like, don't say that. You know, just don't say it that way. Because that's how I feel about this. I, I, don't say that. Don't, don't say it that way. Why are you saying it that way? You don't need to do that. You're stressing me out. This, this is really good for us, though, to come right up against these passages that, 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 that press on us. It's good to be afraid sometimes. It's good to have a healthy fear, to ask ourselves some good questions. It's It's good. This passage changes us and helps us. This passage changes us. There's three ways this passage changes us. Number one, it changes the way we think about the spiritual condition of our loved ones. It changes the way we think about the spiritual condition of our loved ones. See, here's the deal. It's clear from passages like this that we don't know everything. Everything. Only there's, there are there are a lot of things. Only God knows. Only God knows. Only God knows who is saved and who is not. Only God knows if someone has turned their back on Christ in an in an irrevocable way, where God has given up on them. Only God knows that. So if we have, and we all do, we all do. so that's not if. It's it's since we all have people in our lives, family members, friends. And, and and at one time, they had made a profession of faith. Maybe they even got baptized. And they weren't like three years old when they did it. They were like 12 or 15 or 21. It seems like... It seems like... they truly believe the Gospel. But now they've been, there's been a, a, a standing pattern in their life that they're not interested at all. They don't seem interested at all in church or in the... Bible or in prayer. They don't ever mention Jesus or the Gospel. There's no, there's no discernible way where they're trying to live a life that glorifies God. Let's not assume that they are saved. Way too often we say things like, well, I was there when they made a professional faith, and I know it was genuine. Nah. No, the Bible doesn't talk that way. Let's look at verses 9-12, through 12, the rest of our verses here. Look at the way the author of Hebrews is thinking about his people. He says, he says in verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Okay, so in, in verses 4-8, through eight, for the first time in the book of Hebrews, he was talking in the third person. He was saying, there are some people and this is what happens to them. This is what they do. This is what that happens to them. It's the first time he doesn't say I or we or you in the book of Hebrews. And now, but now he's back to talking specifically to his people. And he's saying, yes, that's the case for those people, but I feel better about you. He says, for you, I feel, I feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, which is, which is also another hint In this text, that somehow, even though they had a taste of things, it 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 wasn't salvation. It wasn't salvation. There are things that belong to salvation, that even though they tasted, they did not experience things that belong to salvation. But he says, when I think about you guys, I think, I think better things. In your case, we feel sure of better things. Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So do you understand the way he's thinking about his people, he's he's not thinking. Um, yeah, you know what? There's 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 some sluggishness in their life. They're 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 not hungry for the word of God like they should be. But I also know that you know when they were younger they prayed a prayer and so and they got baptized. So I think they're saved. He doesn't say that. When he starts to think, are these people in or are they out? He doesn't know what's going on in their heart. So he feels sure, but his feeling is based on the fact that he sees them showing love for the name of God in the way that they serve the saints. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for some outward, some outward evidence of their inner love for God in their their, their inner assurance of hope. He's saying that should show up in your life. This is how we have to think about our family and friends. This is, this is, this is the way we think about them. And then number two, it has to, it, it changes the way we encourage each other. So not only does it change the way we think about our family and friends, but it, it has to change the way we encourage each other as well. Because because if we don't see the fruit in their lives, it's time to pray hard that God will save them. Say, God, if they're not saved, please save them. God, it doesn't seem like they're saved. Please save them. And if they are saved, God, please wake them up. Please grab a hold of their hearts. Please don't let them be sluggish. Get them, God. Get them. Do whatever you have to do to, to get them. It's not time to just simply hope for the best and say, well, I was there when they, when they made a profession of faith or when they said they believed the gospel, when they prayed to accept Jesus. I, I was there, so, no. No. If we don't see fruit in their lives, it's time to warn them. To pray for them. But then if we do see fruit in their lives, like this, like the author of Hebrews is like, I, but I see it. I, I, but, but with you, I feel confident of better things, things that belong to salvation, and I feel this way, Because I see fruit. I see, I see the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. So there are many ways we can look for fruit in our own lives and the lives of others. There's many ways we can do that. But, but when, when the author of Hebrews is talking about, just in this passage, he's saying, he's saying, you guys serve the saints. You, you serve the local church. You, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. I've seen the way that you are kind to them. You speak the truth to them. You encourage them. You help bear their burdens. You're, you're faithful to your local church, the saints in your life, and you're stirring them up to good works, and you're caring for them. You're meeting their physical needs however you can. You're, you're praying for them. You're praying with them. I've seen it. And when I see that, I see the name, the, the the love you have for the name of God. When the when the author of Hebrews is talking about your, your love for the name of God, he's he's making sure that we understand that that he's talking about the love for the God of the Bible. Not not some like, oh, I love God, but it's a God that I kind of created in my own image, or it's a God that I've kind of modified, who kind of who kind of works around my you know stuff. No. He's saying, I, you I've seen that you love the actual God of the Bible as he's revealed himself to you. And I see that you do that. Here's, here's And there's other ways to see it, but the way I see it in your life is you serve the saints. So keep going, he says. We desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There are so many people who have gone on before you and they have inherited the promises. Imitate them! Now we should rightly. This is it's, it's 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 good and appropriate and right for us to get super excited when someone believes the gospel for the very first time, when they believe the gospel, when we, and when they say yes, Jesus is my savior. I once was lost, now I am found. And when they when they say Jesus Christ died for my sins, He was punished for my sins, He took my punishment. I deserve hell and Jesus has rescued me and saved me by dying for me. And then, they, and then they make that public by getting baptized and they get involved in the life of the church. When, when, a, when a person starts out in faith, it is a glorious thing we should be excited. But we also know from Scripture that not only do those who are truly saved start out well, But they also finish well. Those who are truly saved start out well and they finish well. So we have, we have joy at the beginning of someone's story. I mean, I love like, like new Christians or, or uh, people that are in those first few years of faith because it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, a zero to five year old, right? Like a zero to five year old, they learn like 97% of their vocabulary in those first five years or something. Like most of the words that you know and use, you learn, you know, in kindergarten or something. I don't know. I, those numbers could be wrong, but you know what I mean. Like, and that's how it is for that new Christian too, right? They're just like, they just, they love all of it. Everything is new. Everything is wonderful. They ask me questions that I haven't thought about in years, and this stirs me up. I'm like, yes, this is so awesome. It's a wonderful truth. I should care about this as much as you do, you crazy puppy. And so, like, it's just, I, I, I love it, right? It's so good for us. It's so good for our joy. It's wonderful. But you know what else I love? I love you old people. I love you old people. You're just like, I'm going to finish strong. People have let me down. People I love have left me. People I love have died. I've seen more disappointments than you can imagine. I'm going to finish strong. Jesus is my Savior. God is good. His word is to be trusted. And when I die, and you preach my funeral, you preach about Jesus. Jesus. There's joy on, on both ends, right? This is what we want. We want to encourage each other that way. We encourage each other when we're first starting out, and we encourage each other when, when they're like saying, here's the songs I want at my funeral. Oh, stop talking about that. <laughs> here's the songs I want at my funeral. I don't, I, we'll figure that out, okay? Let's not talk about funerals right now. But when we're, when we're on both ends of the spectrum, we're encouraging each other. Let's finish strong. Let's show that same earnestness to have that full assurance of hope until the end. Let's be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. We we are sad when we go to a Christian's funeral. We We are very sad, but we also are filled with relief and joy, and hope. Because we look at their lives and we say, they started out strong. Maybe even we remember when they started out strong. And then, and then we've, we've seen that they weren't perfect. They were not perfect. And we could talk for a while about how they were not perfect, but we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to remember together that their life was clearly marked by a love for the name of God. God. And, and the way we see that, many ways, but one of the ways we saw it was the way that they served the saints. We remember story after story after story after story of the way they were, they were committed to God's people. They loved God by loving the saints in their lives. Now, does this love for God and love for others save them? No. No, that's not how we're saved. We are saved through Christ alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. But those who are, will show it with their lives. So we encourage our brothers and sisters to keep going. And then number three, so it it changes the way we think about our loved ones, right? And it also changes uh, the way we encourage one another. But then number three, it changes the way we think about our own assurance of salvation. It, it changes the way we think about our own assurance of salvation. Some of us in this room, we don't ever even doubt that we're saved. Some of us just don't doubt at all. I mean, for some of us, assurance of salvation is just this pretty simple, straightforward thing. We believe that once we were lost, and now we're found. Once we were blind, now we see. There's there's a time I didn't believe the gospel, now I do. Jesus Christ has paid for every single one of my sins. I believed it yesterday. I'm going to believe it today. I'm going to believe it tomorrow. And then I'm just going to keep believing all the other tomorrows. Right? Some of us are just pretty straightforward. Some of us are different. For a variety of reasons, we have a hard time with assurance. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions that spring from these verses. These are questions that I would ask you if we were just sitting and talking and you just said, I don't know if I'm saved. Here are the questions that I would ask you. Well, say it this way. If I also doubted that you were saved, I might take the conversation a different way. But, if I'm thinking, this person's saved as far as i know i don't know everything but seems like they are seems like they are here's the questions i would ask you so you can just think about these questions as we wrap up and we are wrapping up i promise here's a few questions do you care if you are saved or if you are not do you care if you believe the gospel do you care if god has saved you If the answer is yes, that's a pretty good sign. It's a pretty good sign. Next question, even more important, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe right now? Do you right now believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope to be forgiven of your sins and brought into the joyful presence of God for all eternity? Do you believe that his death on the cross paid for your sins? Do you believe that? That's a really good sign. Here's another question, and this is where things can get a little bit subjective and a little bit introspective and a little bit messy for us. Another question, are you loving God by loving his people? I will tell you, the Bible doesn't offer a lot of assurance for those people who don't act like they love God, who aren't living like they love God, who, who, those people who aren't repenting of their sin, those people who aren't trying to resist temptation, those people who are. You know the the people who are trying to progress in holiness, who care deeply about that, who are working by God's grace towards that, if you if you don't have that, then the Bible doesn't have a lot of assurance for you. but if you are if you are if you, if you if you're like, yeah, you know what, I can think over just my last recent history that that I served. The, the Bride of Christ. I, I served the people of God. I, I can think of very specific times where I, I sacrificed in some way to love the people of God, to, to love the saints in my life, to, to encourage and to comfort and to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I went out of my way to meet physical needs. I, I went out of my way to, to care for them and to talk with them and to encourage them. Yes! Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. If so, that's a really good sign. Then my last question. Are you grabbing hold of the mercy of God? Verse 10 is one of my new favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to say that a lot. um, But I mean it this time. Says, for God is not—I'm not sure I can do this. Just a second. Gather my composure. Don't cry. I'm a grown man. It's so, I don't cry in front of women and children. Good. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name and serving the saints as you still do. So here's one of the glorious truths of the gospel. God forgets your sin. He forgets your sin. He completely overlooks it. He completely overlooks it. He completely overlooks it. There's no way in which he holds your sin against you. But he remembers every single one of your feeble attempts to do good stuff. He remembers every single one of your feeble attempts to love him by serving other people. He doesn't remember a time that you sinned. He's erased that. He's thrown that in the sea. He wants nothing to do with that. He doesn't hold that against you at all. But he cherishes and remembers and celebrates every single one of our silly, feeble times to do the right thing. That is mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. That is a God who is rich in mercy, That is a God who is full of mercy. Grab hold of that. That's who God is. Because I'll tell you, if you're like me, you can get a little too introspective. You can get a little too... Uh, you can get a little too... <sighs> Am I a person of faith? Is there fruit in my life? Am I truly saved? We can can go down the rabbit hole, right? We can get lost in our own head. How about instead, you look to the mercy of God. There is a God who loves to hear you say, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. There's, there's a God who will not overlook the way you love the saints. I've talked about this before, so I'm not, I'm not looking for attention. I'm not looking for anything. I, I promise I'm not. This is an illustration, and I want you to grab it and just apply it to your own life. But I've talked with you before. Sunday afternoons, I don't love my sermon. I've never, I've never liked any of my sermons. If a sermon is good, I give myself a C- and take a nap. If my sermon is bad, I, I don't, give my, don't give myself a letter, and I just say, you've got to go back to kindergarten. You're just bad. Like, so if it's bad, it's bad. If it's a good, C minus. And, uh, and I love that my father, because of what he's given me in Christ, says, Steve, I'm not going to count any of the stuff that you did this week against you in any way. I'm not going to hold that against you in any way. Christ has abolished that. It is gone. And and, and you know what? That you you tried, you tried, Steve. You tried, right? You tried to, to serve the saints. You tried to show your love for me and the way you served the people of God. And I'm not going to overlook that. I'm going to overlook your sins. I'm not going to overlook that. That is just mercy. What is that? That's mercy. So when we're, when we're lost in our own head, let's just grab hold of the mercy of God that's, that's ours in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love, thank you for this this passage of scripture. It is scary and it's good we should be we should be serious thinkers oftentimes we're not thinking serious enough, so we thank you for passages that make us to stop and sit and to think. so we thank you for it. we pray that you would help us to do that and then I, we pray God that if if there's anybody here who's not saved that that this would wake them up and they would say yeah i kind of i'm kind of Intellectually, like good with everything. I kind of get what people are doing here. It's, it seems good. It's kind of helped my mom. It's helped my dad. They seem to really like it. It's pretty cool. If there is if, if anybody in that realm who has not truly believed the gospel by your grace, I pray that you would shine the light of Christ, the, your glory in the, in the face of Jesus Christ into their heart. Bring them to life. I pray that right now they would believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is their only hope to be be saved from their sins. And then for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would just help us to be intent about finishing strong and and helping each other finish strong. I thank you so much that you take our feeble efforts, that you you take our, take our, uh, our, 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 our efforts at, at loving each other, serving each other, because we love you. And we want to show that we love you by the way we serve and love each other. I thank you that you don't overlook that. We thank you for your mercy. In Christ's name, amen.